Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, Tech fans, and welcome into episode 173 of the Tech Sideline podcast, originating from TSL's high-tech studios in the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. On today's show, we have a lot to get through the final podcast in the month of March. We'll discuss the news of Virginia Tech deciding not to hold a traditional spring game and what it will look like this year. We'll get the thoughts of Will and Chris on that. Plus, the 2021 Pro Day at Virginia Tech was held last week, and a lot of top prospects showed off their skills, including Christian Darisol. Caleb Farley had a press conference. We'll talk about the Pro Day. Jake Lyman's here to break that down as well. A little bit later, we'll talk about the loss of Jalen Cohn and Joe Bamaseal for Virginia Tech men's basketball and what that means for the program moving forward. All that and more is straight ahead on episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. It all gets started right now. If you ever wonder what we do when the open plays on the podcast, we just like to sit here on the set, set and actually <laughs> we try and hear it. what it sounds like. And, in know, our heads. <laughs> exactly. It's such a great open. So it's so great to have all of you with us. Thanks so much for being with us. Episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Whether you're watching live or archived on YouTube, listening on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or on Stitcher. So glad you could join us as we record on Monday morning, March 29th. Our crew today on the podcast set to my left, we have our managing editor here at TechSideline.com, Chris Coleman. Across the way, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. Behind the scenes today, the second best podcast producer in the land, Jake Lyman, is behind the scenes today, filling in for Malcolm today, and I'm your podcast host, Evan Hughes. As always, truly is great to have you all with us, and we're really looking forward to what is going to be an action-packed show. Hey, Will, if you're watching on YouTube right now, maybe it's live or maybe it's archived, what's two things you could do right now? Well, you said it was going to be action-packed, so take your take your right finger and click like and take your left finger and click subscribe, and that's all the action you're going to get today. The, the rest is just listening. And then you just get to sit back and enjoy, right? Right. There you go. So please hit like and subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. The Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by DraftKings, as well as the Southeast Regional Training Center. Go to southeastrtc.com today to find out how you can get involved and make a difference in Virginia Tech Wrestling's program, as well as Anytime Fitness. Each new member gets a free fitness consultation and a program is designed. You can sign up for a dollar and your first billing period. The number to call is 540-951-1340. Again, that's 540-951-1340. Ask for Tyler and tell him that Tech Sideline sent you. Gentlemen, great to be back with you all. Final podcast of the month of March. April is around the corner. The weather's starting to get warm. It's it's kind of a it's a nice time to be in Blacksburg right now. 
It is. Um, wanted to give, wanted to, so like lawn mowing's coming, you know? That? That's right. That's right. all the corn, yeah. And I wanted to get some yard work done on Saturday, and then it started just dumping rain. So, but it is, is a lot nicer. It's finally, glad, glad to finally be here. Chris Coleman, it's uh, baseball season this week. It is. Thursday, oh, yeah. opening day. Yeah, it's, uh, last year, well, they only play like 60 games or something. Right. This year, it's going to have a regular season. Uh, I haven't paid attention to, like, what, all teams are doing and everything like that but i think the braves are going to start out at one-third capacity so there will be people in the in the stadium yeah. and things like that so uh ready to rock and roll man i got my first covid shot on thursday congratulations and I could barely lift my actually i could not lift my arm <laughs> i take it you weren't lifting on on friday i was not i was not a hundred percent from <laughs> as far as my arm goes until yesterday morning and it made me fatigued. Like my my sleep patterns were all out of whack now. So I went home mm. Thursday and immediately fell asleep, mm. basically. Uh, and but I think I'm starting today. I'm pretty much back to normal. Glad to hear that. You haven't yeah. been paying attention to much preseason baseball. You've been too busy following along with Virginia Tech baseball. Big sweep this weekend, which we'll talk about a little bit later over the 15th ranked Pittsburgh Panthers. Yeah, so yeah. big time win for the hammering Hokies. Well, that's what they're calling them right now. So that's what they've always well, that called goes, them. Well, that goes back back in the day, back when I was a student. They called <laughs> it, them the hammering Hokies. Some years it's, it's got a different meaning to it this year. How about others, that? With yeah, the, uh, yeah the back then basketball was the hurrying Hokies. Baseball was the hammering Hokies. And I don't know what football was. Well, we've got a lot to get through on today's podcast. We're going to talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball a little bit. We'll talk about the news of uh, Jalen Cohn and Joe Bamisil transferring out of the program. We'll talk about the Hammering Hokies. We'll talk about Virginia Tech softball. Keely Rochard just continues to accumulate a lot of strikeouts wherever she's pitching. This weekend it was in Louisville. and uh, But we begin the podcast today talking about Virginia Tech football. And we begin talking about the spring football game as last week it was announced that Virginia Tech would not hold fans in for a spring game this year um, because of the current guidelines that are uh, happening in the state of Virginia as well as the town of Blacksburg especially uh, there will be enhanced media uh, coverage for the fans to watch some of the highlights coach Justin Fuente will be involved with something called Hokies football in your house at the conclusion of spring football uh, the hard hat series uh, looks like that'll be coming back as well there's a there's a lengthy press release put out on hokiesports.com but before we get into all of that, there's really one sentence in that press release, Chris, that stood out to me um, from Hokies Athletic Director Whit Babcock that kind of sums everything up into one or two sentences, and that was, even if the appropriate officials and agencies were to move to an increased attendance protocol in the near term, it's just too soon to jump back into it. I wish we could, and we will soon when it's appropriate. Your overall thoughts on Virginia Tech not holding a spring game allowed to the public this year? Uh, I think it's a Virginia Tech slash town of Blacksburg thing more so than an athletic department thing. I mean, Virginia Tech canceled the run for remembrance this year or made it online. Made it virtual. Yeah, made yeah. it virtual. Um, they do not want people coming into this town from out of town. And uh, so I think technically speaking by the Blacksburg, Blacksburg technically has no – jurisdiction over virginia tech so to speak but i mean they, they those two groups have to operate you know with each other every year they have to be on good terms and everything like that so you can't have some you can't have a war over whether there's going to be a spring game or not and you know i don't think virginia tech the university is in favor of having it either uh they, they just don't want people coming in from the outside 
from what I can tell. So no spring game. And then that's the reasons why, as far as I can tell. So uh, there was a big party at the retreat, uh, correct? Is that Yeah, and the picture made its way through Reddit. There's no way to know for sure whether it's this year. It was. Uh, the St. Patrick's Day party. There was a... <clears throat> There was very a very big party right. on St. Patrick's Day at the retreat. Right. So lots of lots of kids packed in. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you know what the center street parties look like at before football <laughs> games, it looked like this. It looked like that. Yeah. I missed those. So, so I actually saw I, I'm friends with a guy on Facebook who's openly complaining about Blacksburg not reopening. And one of the town council members actually responded to him on social media uh, talking about why they were making, but they made the decisions they made, and she included a picture of that. They, she included that picture, and right. as part of her defense of why Blacksburg is not reopening like the rest of the state. So, yeah, that 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 it's it's a it's a local official thing, a Virginia Tech thing. Uh, the football, you know, they they just got to go along with it. So, from what I can tell, in in reading through, and and Evan, if you've researched it, and and can confirm or, or correct. From what I can tell, what what the town council actually did was uh, Governor Northam said that the uh, restriction on outdoor gatherings, which was previously 50, <clears throat> could be raised to 100. And the Blacksburg Town Council said, no, we're keeping it at 50. Other than that, from what I can tell, they're not restricting uh, restaurants in any way. Um, the the they're not putting any restrictions on Virginia Tech. So if Virginia Tech wanted to have, Northam said you can have thirty percent capacity in outdoor venues. If Virginia Tech wanted to do that with no cap, right? Yeah, with, with no one thousand well, person cap. Yeah, well, you know they're letting them play baseball, right? Yeah. So uh, it, it's but but officially the town of Blacksburg has no jurisdiction over what goes on on the Virginia Tech they, campus. They, they basically so, said in clarifying statements yesterday they basically said everything we're saying doesn't apply to Virginia Tech. Right, right, right. But but it doesn't but at the same time you want to maintain friendly relationships. Yeah. But it's the the main thing is people coming in from the outside. Nobody comes from out of town to go to baseball games. That's all local. They're here anyway. Mm-hmm. They don't want 10,000 people coming from Richmond and another 5,000 from Nova and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then everybody trying to go to bars and things like that when they get into town. That's what they want to avoid. Let me ask you this, Will. Were you surprised? Were you expecting a spring football game where fans were going to be allowed? Do you think the general fan base was expecting that? For those of us that live around here and we're paying attention, and Chris pointed this out to me, I always use the phrase canary in the coal mine. The canary in the coal mine was the run for remembrance. When they went virtual with that, and was there something else? Um, so, so there was that, but they also said that you can have smaller, they're not going to have graduation in Lane Stadium, but there will be smaller groups doing in-person graduation. And that probably gave people some hope that a spring game would be allowed. But, you know, that's some people coming in from out of town. It's not a prob- not a mass influx like it would be for, for a spring football uh, game. Let's be honest here. Graduation's more important than the spring game in the grand scheme of things. And I say that as a person who would not have gone through graduation myself if my if my parents weren't weren't there. Well, right? think about but, this as well. When there's a spring game, what's involved with it? Tailgating. Right. Right. People Going outside. Out shopping. Right, I, you right. know, again, I I would love to have a spring game just as much as anybody, but to me, it was not a surprise. Uh, and I'm not so saying I, they shouldn't have it, but yes, it's not a surprise. Yeah. Um, I actually asked to the tech athletic department several weeks ago, um, 
whether they were going to have a spring game. And at that point, they didn't know. And a Tech spokesman told me, basically, we don't know right now. Keep in mind, there are Virginia Tech and local guidelines that are going to govern whether or not we have a spring game. So that's what they told me weeks before the actual announcement that they weren't going to have one. So... So if you're not having those conversations or paying that type of attention and you hear that there will be some sort of graduation ceremony, maybe you thought there would be a spring game. But yes, what they're looking to avoid is even if they're having a spring game and it's capped at 30 percent of capacity, Center Street just doing its Center Street thing. People coming in and tailgating even though they can't get in. And, you know, local local officials are looking to avoid that sort of thing. So one thing I'm curious, too, let's. uh, you mentioned Governor Northam came out and lifted some restrictions that might mm-hmm. allow for larger than the 1,000-person capacity, which Lane Stadium would have been capped at before this announcement last week. But to me, Will, it feels like it's the town of Blacksburg deciding that they will stay with their restrictions and not adhere to what Governor Northam's doing for the entire state that makes things really difficult for the athletic department. Is that a fair statement? So the key thing was they had an emergency ordinance that they uh, put in place in August to cover these sorts of things. And I think what's rubbing a lot of people the wrong way is, despite what Northam said, they extended their ordinance through May 16th. Well, guess what happens right around that time? The academic year is over and students graduate and leave. Right. Basically, the ordinance expires as soon as the, stu- as soon as the students leave. And, and, and so, so what What a lot of people are hearing, and I can't blame them for hearing this, is um, we're, we're lifting restrictions as soon as you students are all out of here. I mean, you could have made it June 1st to maybe make the optics look a little better. So I think that's what everybody's reacting to, Evan, is, is no, we're just going to kick the can down the road a few more weeks until you all are gone. So, anyways, that is some of the news going on. And, again, Virginia Tech did put out a statement saying they're going to do a couple of things to try and enhance the experience for yeah. fans that are not going to be there. That includes Hokies football in your house. It's a special uh, plan. It's specially planned for the conclusion of spring football. Uh, Justin Fuente and assistant coaches will break down top moments from the past season and give an inside look at the state of the program. Again, the hard hat series, remember last year when players would just sit down, the two of them almost in these kind of chairs, yeah. and have like lengthy dialogues. It looks like that's coming back. So, And, and we've seen from Hokies football on Twitter that – a lot more interviews this year, a lot more media availability, it feels like, in the spring. Uh, we've seen John Laser interview a bunch of assistant coaches in these segments. So it does feel like, Chris, that there there's more uh, content in oh, terms of – absolutely. Th- um, this year as of late. Yeah, they're doing, uh, they're doing player and coach interviews every week, all of which, you know, we have articles about, whether it's Jake or Corey. Yeah. Um, and if you want to see the interviews themselves, you can go to the Virginia Tech Athletics YouTube page and view them there in their entirety, uh, which I encourage you to do. Uh, I've, I've, every now and then I'll write an article for TSL and I'll link some of those videos and I'll put in there a bookmark this page so I don't have to write an article every week telling you what videos Virginia Tech published because I'm not going to do that anymore. But uh yeah, it's all it's all right there. It's 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 a much more accessible program from that standpoint right right now than it has been in the past. So when Whit Babcock sat up in his press conference in December and talked about how the program needed to be more accessible and everything like that, um, that's the type of stuff he was talking about. And so I actually started a discussion on our message boards late last week about you know. I didn't phrase the question this way, but I basically asked the question, is that doing it for you? 
you know? Well, you, uh, I, I got very specific. You linked the Twitter. Yeah. So I, so I linked a 39 second Twitter video where they're showing players stretching and, and running from place to place and stuff like that. Stuff that isn't, it isn't even part of a scrimmage play or anything like that. So, so we had this discussion of, of, uh, I I thought, you know, does this really do it for anybody? Because that kind of thing, I, I couldn't care less about that, you know, about another 40-second video that, that ends with this is home. Um, and some of the discussion was in, in V. Tizzle. So V. Tizzle used to work with the football program, and he basically said, I want to see a scrimmage player from start to finish. I want to see him snap the football, drop back, make reads, and I want to see the camera follow the quarterback throwing it to the receiver. Because some of the video cuts are they show the quarterback throwing – and then they show the receiver catching a football, and you don't know if that's part of the same play. That's so he's he's just like so many tech football fans. He just wants to see something, sure, you know. So uh, now that isn't to poo-poo the effort that they're making. So like pro day in particular, you know, this is a different pro day because there is no combine. So there's all kinds of scouts and everything there. If you've seen the pictures, there were a ton of people there, there and there were a lot of prospects and. You know, pro day is never really on my radar, but I think in the past it's been pretty much closed off. Well, they they let some media members in and and let them spend the day there, and they did a lot they, of interviews. They made all. they made a point to get as many media excuse me as many media members as there as possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You like know, we, so, so they really made an were, effort with. We pro were day. basically openly invited. Right. Yep. They were like, yeah. please cover the pro day, and so and it was yeah. also streamed. It's funny. I don't know that they had much of a choice in that because it, it little behind the scenes story. I, I got the email from the ACC network. I don't know two or three weeks ago saying uh, we're going to put uh, we're going to show these spring games on our actual network, which I think was Clemson, Miami, somebody else, and we're going to stream these others. And it listed the dates and everything. You, and said, I, you mean pro days? What I say? Spring games. Spring game. I but meant some pro spring day. games are being televised, correct? So yes. so yeah. Appreciate you correcting me. I'm talking about Pro Day. So it's like we're going to show Clemson's Pro Day. And on the list of Pro Days that were going to be streamed was Virginia Tech's. And um, I put that on Twitter. And somebody from Tech reached out to me and said, uh, where'd you get that from? And I thought, huh. Now, it was interesting. The ACC network did that and basically said, we're going to stream Virginia Tech's Pro Day and didn't check with Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech found out the same way I found out via the email. Um, interesting stuff, now, and, and still it occurred. It's still streamed. The re- the reason that's that's an issue is because right now Virginia Tech doesn't have the uh, personnel slash logistics to broadcast more than one, the more than I think two live events at a time. Correct, because um, there's two control rooms, two in control the south rooms. end zone, right, yeah, right, right, which is probably true of every school, right? <laughs> right. So, 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 well, so let's get into this with regards to not televising or not having yeah. a spring game yeah, and televising. Yeah. Um, you know, but before the semester started, Virginia Tech, you know, they didn't know whether they were going to be allowed to have spring practice, much less a spring game. So at that point, they committed themselves to televising live sporting events. They could have committed. They could have committed themselves to, to televising a spring game then, but at that point, they didn't know whether they were going to have a spring game mm-hmm. or even a spring practice. But they they knew the the actual sports in season would be played, and ESPN controls the scheduling, not Virginia Tech. So Virginia Tech already has multiple home games that Saturday that the spring game would be on April seventeenth, 
and they do not have the logistics to to show on ESP or excuse me ACC network or ACC network extra more than two events. Hmm. So they made the decision before the semester started to televise the live events that they knew were going to happen. And at that point, they didn't even know that spring practice was going to happen, but they knew there would be baseball season. They knew there would be softball season, uh, soccer season, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so there's the reasoning that, for, uh, that there's no uh, there's no televised spring game that this year. Is. So, so that's interesting. So here's what's interesting about that is historically, Virginia Tech has tried to have home baseball and softball games the same day as the spring game. Mm-hmm. So in the pre-ACC network and pre-ACC network extra days, that's not a problem. Right. And it's funny. So what you're saying is now that there's more uh, accessibility for broadcasts, it actually is more problematic. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's only two control rooms. uh, So So that would require if they wanted to put on the ACC network. That would require ESPN to bring a truck and well, bring and bring production. Not necessarily, or because, or or not just not showing. So for every other. for every broadcast yeah. that is done on the ACC Network Extra at Virginia Tech, that is produced by the Virginia Tech ACC Network team, yeah. a great team that I feel really lucky to work with, and that consists of a lot of students behind the scenes that produce all that, and those are the two control rooms. So, for instance, when a football game this past year is on the ACC Network, and take the NC State game this year that was on the network the same people who produce the virginia tech virginia softball game last week on the acc network are the same people that are doing the football game so espn does not have to bring a truck in because they already have well, a but, studio here well, and they already have a team here. they bring in their play-by-play they bring in their analyst and they maybe bring in like a producer and director besides that the same people who put together a soccer broadcast here are the same people who will put together a football in those two south end zone studios from the ACC network right so yep. um but that, that's the wonderful thing about it is that you know the days of bringing in a truck or like bringing a, a ton of camera operators or all that like that's the wonderful thing about and and that's part of the deal with having the acc network is and espn learned this from starting the sec network we don't need to drill too far into this but when it came time to start the ACC network, they told the schools, here is the, the capability you need to broadcast you. And I remember Virginia Tech running a bunch of uh, cable from the, like the baseball stadium all the way into the south end zone, which right. is where, where the studios are. So um, there was a lot of infrastructure built, but it's not just infrastructure, it's people. you know. And it's a sweet deal for ESPN because they don't need to bring all that other stuff. They can show all of your sports and in the era of COVID, some of your sports are being done by people sitting at home. You know, they're not even bringing play-by-play and, and, and color analysts to, to your place. 100%. Speaking of the ACC network, they cut away from the baseball game yesterday to broadcast the Clemson-Duke softball game. Yeah, so the story behind that was Tech and Pittsburgh were supposed to start playing baseball at 1 o'clock on the ACC network. It rained in, in, at Pittsburgh, and the game didn't start till 3 a softball game was due to start at four, so one hour into the baseball game, off we go to show the softball game. And they tossed the uh, Pittsburgh-Virginia Tech baseball game over on ACC uh, Network Extra, and people couldn't find it because it wasn't supposed to be there. So, right. you know, it, it was pretty sketchy. And while we're on the ACC Network subject, we actually have a question from, I don't know if you guys watched the series, but Robbie Hoops was asking, um, chimed in wondering why the first two games on the ACC Network Extra did not have a commentator. Um and the one on Sunday did. 
And so if that was on the network, that means ESPN is supplying their talent to call the game on right. the network. But when the broadcasts are done by the ACC Network Extra, that is the home production unit is in charge of supplying the broadcasters for that. So my my guess was there were probably a lot of broad, uh, a lot of home games for Pittsburgh Athletics this weekend. To your point, there was probably more games than there were enough studio and personnel to put on a broadcast. So that's why there were still there was still a score bug, there was still replay, but there was probably no commentator because it was a smaller broadcast because there's so much going on in Pittsburgh. That's and my guess. Pittsburgh doesn't quite have the Virginia Tech Bill Roth Sports media and analytics Man, you program know, either. So, so, uh, so I watched some of those two games that that were that were streamed, and they were basically it was one camera angle. It was the camera in in center field right. showing the, and it didn't track the action of the ball very well. And between innings, they would cut to a uh, camera, not not exactly behind home plate, but way up high. So you could, so but there were there was no cutting while the action was going on. It was just one the one center field camera. They would tell you the inning and the score, but they did not light up what bases people were on, and they would also give you the count. But it wouldn't tell you if it was the bottom or the top of the inning, you know, which sure. you can figure out if you have a brain. But they, you're tuning in and you're seeing the pitcher and the batter and the catcher, and you don't know who's on base where, you know. So very, very minimal, I would say. But 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 I watched one softball game this year that was done down at Georgia Tech where it looked like somebody would set an iPhone up behind home plate. Yes. You know, and that's all you got. Well, and that's and, and those are defined as not the full production broadcast. They're yeah. almost like an institutional pass-through. So there might be just one camera, maybe two people on the broadcast, and just saying, hey, here's, you know, we don't have the full unit to put, put to everything together. But then when it's on the network, all hands on deck. So anyways, not to fully go down that road. but I Well, th- this, well is, this is stuff that your average person doesn't know and doesn't think about. So it's important. Well, I, I just want to shout out real quick. Our crew, though, the ACC Network, um, Virginia Tech, the work that we, the behind the scenes, and I mean, not even really me, but like just the behind the scenes people at Tech who make all the broadcast work. I mean, it is awesome to, if you go watch a lacrosse broadcast, it looks just as good as a football broadcast. I mean, the work that Virginia Tech's in-house ACC network does, some of the best in the country. And, and so, the on-air talent, a lot of which is student talent, you know. Um, um, so so Jake Jake Lyman's dad came on the message board probably about a week and a half ago and said, oh, Jake's going to be calling softball this weekend. And I actually said to him there on the board, I said, you know what? I bet I could tune in and watch and not realize it was Jake. And so sure enough, that weekend I said, oh, let's check out the game. It's streaming. And I, and I, I tune in and I get all wrapped up in the score and stuff like that. I watch an entire half inning. You know, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Jake doing the play by play, you know, and, and this is somebody I know. So I don't have a real point there, just that uh, it was it wasn't like it was awkward or stilted or anything. He did a great job calling yeah. the game. And so Bill has started this. Uh, Bill Roth has started this SMA program at the perfect time. And I had to think that was part of his thinking, because when he started it, they knew the ACC network was coming, I believe, I, I think, on the timing of that. So he is he's growing that program. He's getting more and more and better talent in every year. And it's just really neat to watch all this stuff going on. And and I've talked about, you know, it happened again this weekend where you've got multiple events that you can watch. And um, it's never been that way ever in the history of Virginia Tech Athletics. And uh, we've never in the history of the Tech Sideline podcast before done a switcheroo in the middle of a pod. So would you like to introduce who's going to come on the set here for just a moment here, Will? I would like to introduce a uh, Jake Lyman. Uh, we've had Jake. Jake has hosted a podcast for us before, I think. 
I think he hosted a wrestling podcast, and that's a tough one to to host. And that, that was a while ago. So Jake is a junior. He's going to be graduating in December of 2022. So he's he's going to be in Bo Ross program for another year and a half. And Jake uh, covered Pro Day for us. Um, you know, Chris and I, we were given the offer to cover Pro Day, and uh, um, I would not do a good job of that. You know, and, and so I was like, well, let, let's hit up Jake and see if he wants to do it because he's a young guy, follows the NFL. So we yeah. sent Jake out to do pro day. So rather than have me sit here, just sit here, let's have Jake come on in. And so cut to the main camera. There you go. He's got it. All right. Here we go. Will's going to go and try and do what his son does best here for a couple minutes, too. Jake Lyman, also the incoming sports director of 3304 Sports. My friend, Jake. Hello, sir. What's going on? How uh, how is it trying to fill in Malcolm's shoes? I know, I mean, it's, you you can't replace Malcolm. So it, I mean, how hard tough, is it? You know, uh, I know I'm sitting in that number two spot for best producer in the land. I'm trying to work <laughs> my way up, but you know, it's, it's tough. Well, it's great to have you here. Let's transition and talk about the 2021 Virginia Tech Pro Day that took place on Friday. You were there for it, and there were a lot of people there. A lot, three general managers. So your overall impressions? What was the day like covering Pro Day? Well, I first got there and I wasn't quite sure where to go. And I, I ran into John Laser, the voice of the Hokies, and he tells me, oh, they're starting the team room. And I walk in there and it is all scouts. And I'm like, well, I'm in the wrong place. But <laughs> you just walk into that room and you see pretty much every single logo from the NFL. Um, I think I said 25 teams, at least that was the list uh, was there. But I know the Colts weren't on there. I saw somebody in Colts gear there, so I think there might have even been upwards of 25 there. It was it was pretty crazy. The indoor was pretty much packed, um, and Coach Fuente mentioned in his press conference uh, the players the that weren't participating, all the teammates were there too, and you know they were getting up for their team. I mean, Diablo runs his 40, and there is just a roar from the sidelines. Uh, he ran a 4.46. So, uh, and then the weight room was pretty cool, too, with uh, Austin Rosa, uh, linebacker, played special teams. He puts up 27 reps, and the weight room just went crazy. 200, so. That's 27 reps of 225 pounds, in case you aren't familiar. Yes. That's yeah. A, yeah. <laughs> that's Chris Coleman numbers right there. Folks. <laughs> uh, let me mention the players that uh, did participate in the pro day. Rayshard Ashby. Oscar Bradburn, Christian Darisaw, Divine Diablo, Caleb Farley didn't do any drills, but he was a part of the pro day. Khalil Herbert, Gerard Hewitt, Brian Johnson, Henry Murphy, Justice Reed, Austin Rosa, and Ryan Willis all took part in the pro day. And of course, Chris, the the storyline of this pro day is there's a chance that two players will go in the top 15 overall picks in the upcoming NFL draft. How important do you think a pro day is for a guy like Christian Darisaw or even like Caleb Farley not playing last year to just interact with those scouts? I mean, I'm sure in a COVID era too where it's hard to have those face-to-face interactions, it's probably a big day for those two. Yeah, I think so. Um, you can turn on film and, and see to a certain extent how good of a football player a guy is, but but when you're building your team, you want to have some interactions with that person before you bring him in and he becomes a part of your locker room culture and to me that that's that's the biggest thing that comes out of pro day and and things like that um just like i see it every summer or i used to see it every summer in recruiting camps at virginia tech and the biggest thing that took place in those recruiting camps isn't how fast guys run in the 40 it's virginia tech's coaches talking to their high school coaches and 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 meeting the kid in person and things like that. That's the most important thing. Um, 
I, I don't I don't need to see Caleb Farley run the forty to know that he's the best cover corner in college football, right? Um, he already proved that. Um, and plus, you know you you had you had different NFL coaches like putting them through drills and things like that. They had, they were putting Darisaw through drills and. Then you can actually get a feel for actually how strong his hands are and things like that. So they get to not to cut you off the the coaches and the pro, the scouts they can say, hey, we want to see this. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for Darisaw, at least three coaches put him through drills. I know the Jaguars' offensive line coach was with him for a, a pretty long time. He was doing stuff with like uh, he had like punching bag things on his hands, and Daris he was coming at him with two and then one, and Darisaw had to punch back, um, and then. There were two coaches. One was from the Patriots. The other had this white pullover on with a white logo. So I could not tell what team he was from, but they were running him through drills. And it's they they were coming at him from both sides. And then at the end, they're coming hard, making sure Darisaw doesn't hold or do other stuff. So the, they put him through some pretty intensive work. But yeah, the coaches, they, they can just say, hey, we want to work with this guy. Uh, and Darisaw went for probably about 30 minutes with three, four different coaches. All right, so you saw the whole thing. Was there one particular player you think leaving there, you said, wow, this guy had a really good pro day. Like, he helped his draft stock after Friday. I think Divine Diablo. Uh, I think just looking at him, may, maybe not with the positional drills, he, he had a little bit of a case of the drops early on. I think the first three balls he got from Ryan Willis went right through his hands. Uh, but he, in the weight room, I think he had the highest vert. I think it was 34 inches, which was – pretty impressive and just i mean you just see the guy he looks like he's cut from marble like and <laughs> he's tall and long and then he ran a 44640 i i think uh i think his draft stock went up a little bit i know the steelers worked him out one of their coaches was doing the uh the drills with him and then i noticed between drills a couple times there was one scout from the packers who kept coming up to diablo and talking to him so those were the two teams that looked at him. I think he probably raised his draft stock maybe third, fourth round for Diablo. That's kind of what I would and, think. And the Packers GM was there. I was yes. about to say, so yeah. you had the Packers GM, the Washington GM. And, and the Jaguars. That's pretty impressive to have three general managers there for Pro Day. Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, I'm, I know Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Steelers, was in town for Pro Day the year the Edmonds brothers were in the draft, and then he drafted Terrell Edmonds. you got to share the story you told me before the podcast. Yeah, was, People uh, get a kick out of this. Was, it was, this was somebody who saw Tomlin in a convenience store uh, on his way out of town on Pro Day, and, and she's a Steelers fan, and uh, she didn't know anything about Pro Day or anything like that. Oh, so, oh my gosh, Mike Tomlin, what are you doing in town? Oh, well, I'm here looking at Terrell Edmonds, right? So it's, it's sometimes... Uh, you, th you think there are big secrets in the NFL and what does Mel Kuyper say and everything like that. So, or some, but sometimes the NFL's head coach rolls into town and tells somebody in a convenience store who he's going to draft. <laughs> I think the one intriguing player who participated in Pro Day, we, listen, we know Christian Darisol is going to be a first-round pick. We know Caleb Farley is going to be a first-round pick. And we know Divine Diablo is going to get picked somewhere in the third and fourth round. To me, the biggest question mark of any player is, going into the draft for Virginia Tech is, is Khalil Herbert, who had that great, uh, sensational one year at Virginia Tech. Chris likes to remind us that nobody will have ever seen him play in a Virginia Tech uniform. Uh, over 1,100 yards on the ground, eight touchdowns. In running backs, as you know, Jake, I mean, covering the NFL, uh, 
you know, they get picked in the middle rounds. They have maybe three or four years of being really good before they maybe drop off. So how was the pro day for Khalil Herbert? And was there anything that stood out to you about his day Friday? Well, I think the first thing that stood out for him was in the weight room. He put up 22 reps uh, of 225, which for a running back, that's, uh, I mean, that's pretty impressive, especially for a guy who kind of built his resume on the big plays, outrunning everybody to the end zone. So I thought that was pretty impressive. Uh, he ran the fastest 40 of the day. I believe he ran a 4-4-4 unofficially. Um, so I thought he was impressive. He didn't do extensive positional work with coaches. I think a lot of it was spent on the de- the defense after Darisaw. So Diablo and Ashby and Reed all were going through drills together at one point, and then Herbert kind of came in and did some stuff. But I thought he didn't hurt his draft stock at all, at least. And I, I still think he's going to hear his name probably early on day three, four, round four, mm-hmm. round five would probably be my and, guess. And Chris, that's not really a bad thing, right? As a running back, we, we just don't see many running backs get taken with first round picks or second round picks. You don't, yeah. You don't see that very much because running backs seem to have a short shelf life and teams I would think would not want to spend those early picks on, on players that just aren't going to be playing for them for that long so you're going to go offensive tackle you're going to go quarterback you're going to go cornerback uh, defensive line things like that um, I Herbert is reminds me of Shiron Stith who was, who was Virginia Tech's running back in 1999 uh, low center of gravity uh, can return kicks like okay. Shiron did and Herbert also showed this past year uh, that he could catch the football. You know, didn't catch a ton of balls, but when he did, he did something with it. So, very, very valuable player, uh, I think. And, uh, yeah, certainly going to get drafted. And I bet can the few Kansas football fans that there are are like, huh. how in the world did we not use that guy properly when he was here? Well, Kansas football fans, it's been tough the last couple of uh, weeks as well with uh, Les Miles <laughs> getting let go. Um, real quick, a couple of other players, uh, Rayshard Ashby, Gerard Hewitt, a couple of guys who have been in the program for a long time. Anybody else that we haven't talked about, the main guys that had solid pro days that you think that helped elevate their draft stock, maybe they'll be picked as a late sixth or seventh rounder? I thought Rayshard Ashby looked good. Um, I don't think he's going to get drafted. He ran a 4-8-4, which as a linebacker in the NFL, you can't run with the tight ends that they've got out there or the running backs. He couldn't cover. I mean, he's a great run stopper, and I think he looked good in the positional drills. He was... He, he looked like himself, pretty dependable, but just you can't run a four eight four as an NFL linebacker and expect to get a draft pick. Maybe sn- sneak onto a roster as an undrafted free agent. Did he look like he lost weight? Because see, that dude had to have been pushing 250 this past season. He did look like he lost a little bit of weight. Right. I, I think so. But, yeah, he, was, he ran the slowest 40 out of everyone. And it's just the way the NFL goes these days, if you're going to be an, a linebacker, you're expected to cover – Right, Travis Kelsey sometimes or George Kittle, and they're going to run right by. Right? You're, you're seeing this in Virginia Tech's linebacker recruiting at the Mike spot. They're they're not recruiting Rayshard Ashby types right now. They're they're recruiting guys who I I would describe as like maybe slightly bigger backers. Uh, more they're trying to get longer, rangier, more athleticism sure. at that position because as time goes by. You know that that spot is going to be challenged more and more from a coverage standpoint. Uh, I want to call Jake Lemon our NFL draft expert. Like you know, a lot of these different websites have like their own specialized draft experts. So I'm just going to go ahead and give you that title. Our draft expert, Jake Lyman, joining us here, episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Quickly, actually, speaking of draft experts, um, I really like to read uh, Dane Brugler. He writes for the Athletic. He is their full NFL 
draft guru. Um, and so he has his big board of best players ranked like one through a hundred, not where he thinks they're going to go. Just like the top 100 players in the draft. Um, he has Christian Darisol as the number 17 overall player. I'll lead, read you the description he has. I think you'll like this, Chris. Keeping his weight over his toes, Darisol shows efficient slide quickness and pass protection and is a bulldozer in the run game while unlocking his hips to create movement or seal block. He shows the ability to manhandle defenders once he locks on, but he doesn't always play with a stout anchor or killer instinct. That is his assessment of Darisol, and then he has... Caleb Farley at 29, and we'll close talking about the pro day with Caleb Farley. Number 29 overall player, he says, with only two seasons of experience at cornerback, Farley was always a tough projection, but his size, athleticism, and ball instincts are why he was my top cornerback in this class. However, his most recent back procedure shines a bright light on the durability concerns, making it a challenge to understand his draft value. His ranking will remain fluid up until draft day. I don't understand why that back procedure didn't happen until now. Like, why didn't it happen, like, as soon as the end of the 2019 season w- was over? Like, like what in, what what happened that, that that wasn't already taken care of? That's a rhetorical question. Well, he, he said in his press conference that he had one back procedure done, mm-hmm. and there was this one that he thought was just minor, and he was going to be able to do his pro day through it and everything. But I guess he said... He, a doctor advised him that it's better to just get it done now, and then he'll be ready for training camp. But It's odd to me that he never got that advice. Yeah. In the, well, tell us a little bit yeah. about what did Caleb Farley, obviously he didn't participate in Pro Day, but did he just do a press conference? Like, What did you see from him on Friday? Well, he was there, and I assume he had meetings with coaches and scouts and GMs, talked to them. Um, you know, it, he, he said in his press conference that he, by opting out, he banked a lot on his Pro Day. He banked on being able to work out now that he hasn't it it seems like he's sliding a little bit um but something you do want to see is mike mccarthy was on the list of people supposed to be in blacksburg on friday cowboys pick at 10 which is kind of right around where he's been projected right and then mccarthy doesn't show up when farley announced that he wasn't going to work out that's who he was coming to see buddy so i think mike mccarthy was coming to see caleb farley which makes you think that even with these the the issues with injuries and opting out and everything he could still be in that 10 to 15 range right there so that's a good point the other cornerback he's kind of competing with it looks like is patrick sertan of alabama so i think one of the two are going to be the first corners off the board i remember when his father was a cornerback in the nfl oh there you go played for the dolphins will there you go yep. that's will's team yeah yeah look at look at will back there look at him anchoring the he's doing a great job um he says this is fun there we go all right Let's transition. We've got Jake here. And, folks, one thing we're going to start doing over the next couple of weeks, it's springtime, college football, believe it or not, it's just around the corner. And we are going to start previewing positions for Virginia Tech football coming up. So we're going to be talking a lot of hokey football. We're going to do at least two positions of podcast. And so since we have Jake here who covers Virginia Tech football for us with Corey Van Dyke here at TechSideline.com, we'll go ahead and transition from the pro day to previewing Virginia Tech quarterbacks and running backs going into the 2021 season. Chris, I know you've been transitioning from uh, men's basketball to football and keep an eye on spring practice. So let's start with the quarterbacks. Off-season departures include Quincy Patterson and Hendon Hooker. And it looks to be for the first time, would you say in Justin Fuente's tenure, that there is a clear QB1 heading into the spring 
and then transition QB1 into the fall and Braxton Burmeister. You know, the, I think there was a clear QB1 heading into the 2018 spring with Josh Jackson having – yeah, 2018 spring? Did I say 18? Yeah, 2018 spring after Jackson had started 2017 as a freshman. He was the clear-cut guy heading into spring of 2018 and the clear-cut guy when August camp started and then he got hurt. Um, so, yeah, I have to say this is the first time since then that, that maybe there's been a 100% clear-cut guy. Um, I'm glad of it. You know, I don't like losing guys like Kendon Hooker or Quincy Patterson. Um, but at the same time, you don't want too many chefs in the kitchen, right? I mean, at some point, you got to decide who your guy is and roll with it. The concern here is, you know, injuries. And he said he's packed on 10 to 12 pounds. So he was listed at 205 last year. That puts him in the 215 to 217 range, uh, and hopefully that would make him more durable without losing any quickness or anything like that. But uh, yeah, I'm. I know that over the last year, well, really, ever since Quincy Patterson signed with Virginia Tech, people have been talking about him transfer. And and Hendon Hooker was already in the portal once, so there was always talk around those guys, whether they whether they were going to transfer or not, when are they going to transfer, blah blah blah. And I'm just glad to get it in the rearview mirror. Um, and the reason people always talk that way about Quincy is because he signed with the Hokies the year after they signed Hendon Hooker, and at the time they still had Josh Jackson, who was a young quarterback. So everybody was like. Man, you had all these young quarterbacks within a year of each other. How does Quincy work out? When is he going to transfer if he doesn't win the starting job, right? So it was kind of unfair to him from that standpoint from the very beginning. Um, but, yes, I, I'm glad to finally have hopefully some uh, continuity there. Hopefully Burmeister can stay healthy for the entire season. Jake, uh, you look at the numbers last year for Burmeister. I mean, he completed – 57% of his passes, 687 yards. But um, the Virginia game gave him a lot of momentum going into the offseason. And in a way, it's kind of interesting how things played out to end the season last year with Hooker against Clemson, Burmeister against Virginia. And, and here we are kind of with the hot hand staying in as QB1 and Braxton Burmeister. Well, I think you look at Burmeister and it's he, he looked good at the beginning of the season despite he said he had COVID in fall camp. So he missed pretty much every opportunity to practice as quarterback number one. And then he gets uh, his foot stepped on by an offensive lineman in practice, misses the whole middle of the season. But he comes back and looked good against UVA, re really good. I mean, the offense seemed to be very efficient. It wasn't it wasn't show-stopping, but Burmeister was making the right reads. He was making good throws, and the the team looked good. I think having this whole spring and all of the fall to be able to work with his receivers and kind of build that uh, that rapport with his weapons, I think that's going to be huge for him. He says he's already had a ton of practices with uh, all of the weapons. They've been going off to fields around Blacksburg and just throwing throwing it around. So. I think that is going to be the big thing for him is that continuity and getting in that rhythm as the quarterback for the Hokies. And as long as, like Chris said, he can stay healthy, I think he's the best option for the Hokies at this point. Chris, what is the biggest strength of Braxton Burmeister's game and what's the biggest weakness of his game? I think his uh, elusiveness, I'll, I'll say he's got uh, he's got some flair to him. He can do the unexpected. He can make something out of nothing. Um 
And I would say that's the biggest strength. And, of course, that mobility allows him to also run the read option effectively. Um, doesn't have a dynamic arm, I would say. That that would be his biggest weakness. Of course, we'll see if it's stronger with added weight and, and everything like that. Um, to me, the biggest thing with, with Burmeister is he actually gets to practice and learn the system. If you recall, he transferred from Oregon. Oh, I guess it was August of 2019. And... Within a couple of weeks, he's ruled ineligible. So <clears throat> gets into the scout team where you're running the other team's offense every week. So last spring was supposed to his, be his big time to learn the offense and everything like that. And then spring gets canceled, and he couldn't learn the offense. Fast forward to August, and uh, you get COVID, so you're out for 10 or 14 days or whatever it was. And the, the program gets shut down a couple of times. So... It's amazing to me in hindsight that he was actually as effective as he was at the beginning of last season. It's very little time as he had in the Virginia Tech offense at that point. Um, and you also wonder, you know, knowing his with his lack of knowledge of the system, what percentage of the playbook was actually available? Um, because he couldn't have been comfortable with 100% of it. It was very possible that it was a scaled-down version just because of his, his inexperience in the offense. So that's the big thing. I, I think uh, I think he's got some strengths. You, you know, I mean, he, look, he didn't have Michael Vick's arm or Jim Druckenmiller's arm or Tyrod's arm or anything like that. But I think if he stays healthy, he can be an efficient player for the Hokies. I think for Burmeister, the biggest factor is his supporting cast. If his supporting cast is good, he'll be good. But if they're not up to par, then there are going to be times where he probably doesn't look up to par either. Um, quickly, I just want to mention we're 51 minutes in, and there's one word that has not been mentioned yet. Would you like to mention it real quick? Yeah, redshirt. Well, uh, just looking at the quarterback room, here's the big question. Will Taj Bullock redshirt this year considering the quarterback room? Because you've got Knox Kadem, right, who I assume is QB2 on the depth chart, correct? And then Bullock's the only other quarterback to my knowledge. No. Connor oh, Blumrick. That's Blumrick. right, Blumrick. Apologies. So, with Blumrick coming in from Texas A&M, you think we see him in a kind of a wildcat role mm. playing differently? We know he's played tight end in his career. How do you see him fitting in here in Blacksburg? You know, you, you, you could potentially see that role for him to a certain extent. Uh, my general feeling, if you, do, if you go to that too much, it's because you're not really good at anything else, right? Um, if if Tech had done that with with Quincy Patterson last year or or any of their past players, I mean you're just sitting there thinking, well, that, that's a play we're not giving it to Khalil Herbert or we're not throwing it to James Mitchell. It, it's I I don't see the point of it to be honest with you, but uh, I, I think he serves a role of where he will um, help Taj uh, Bullock to redshirt. Um, I don't think Bloomerick is going to be Tech's backup this year. I don't think you can come in with 15 spring practices and beat out a guy, Knox Kadem, who's been in the system for a while. And, and Knox looked competent when he had to come into the game against Clemson. Remember when he got year. popped on that screen pass and he took it like a oh, champ? Yeah, Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah. I mean, just got, got his, lit up. His senior year of high school, he completed something like 70% of his passes, 21 touchdowns, no interceptions. The guy knows how to play quarterback. Um I think Bloomrick is a really, really good athlete, but I don't know that he necessarily knows how to play quarterback. So, and especially he doesn't have experience in the system. So, I think Kadem's going to be number two this year. It's my personal opinion. I, I, uh, I love Taj, Taj Bullock's potential, but if it gets to the point where Tech had to play Taj Bullock this year as a true freshman, then 
the season's lost. He's a, he's a true freshman. You might as well just go ahead and redshirt him and play a walk-on and do what's best for him because you're going to lose either way. So I think, yes, redshirt all the way. There you go. 100%. All right, that's the quarterback rooms. Any other thoughts you guys want to get on quarterbacks? Well, I just, I just want to say that I think you're right. In Fuente's press conference a couple weeks ago, he did say that right now Braxton obviously is taking majority with the ones. Kadem will work in with the ones at times, most of the reps at twos, and then Blumrick will take some at the twos. Did not even mention Taj Bullock, so you would assume he's – Probably going to redshirt. That makes Chris Coleman a happy, happy man. Somehow so. I went that whole se- segment without calling him Taj Boyd. Um, <laughs> great quarterback. Indeed. All right, let's transition to the other part of our position preview today. We just talked about quarterbacks, and we'll talk about running backs today here on episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Jake Khalil Herbert, 1,182 yards last year. He averaged 7.7 yards a carry, eight touchdowns. How will Virginia Tech replace his production this year? By committee. I think Fuente already said that there are four running backs who've already earned reps. Uh, He mentioned, obviously, Jalen Holston and Raheem Blackshear, Keyshawn King, and Marco Lee all have earned reps. And I think that's that's a solid committee because they all kind of do different stuff. Holston can kind of be that guy in goal line. We saw him in that role a little bit uh, last year, getting some touchdowns towards the end of the year. And then Blackshear said he's working primarily at running back, but a little bit in the slot. And then Keyshawn King, he looked good as a freshman at times. Didn't get much reps last year. So I think you work those kind of guys in. It it can work to replace that production from Herbert. And that's kind of been the way Justin Fuente likes to run his backfield. He usually hasn't had that workhorse like Herbert was last year. Um, so I think having those three or four guys working in should be a, a good group for the Hokies. Yeah, I think when you don't have one player who's a standout above the rest of the players, that's the way he's going to do it. Now, if one of these guys showed him this spring that he was as good as Kolo Herbert, then guess what? We would have got to have a workhorse next year. Um, I, I like the fact that Holston has lost weight. I think he said he's down to 204. It should make him a little quicker. Um, I hope whatever weight he lost – Kashawn King found because 175 is not going to cut it at the ACC level. I mean, you're you're resigned to a bit role at, at that at that weight. So King has got to have a great off season, and I, I don't mean j- spring practice. I mean with nutrition. He's got to eat the right foods, and he's got to eat a lot of food. He's got to attack the weight room. He's got to learn to love it. And that um, new weight room. Yeah, exactly. And and it's. It's all there for them now. There can't be any excuses now. They got weights. They got a student athlete performance center. Um, it's a fresh start. So, uh, guys, they need to get their bodies right this offseason, and the tools are there for them this year. Uh, Blackshear, you know, I'm a little divided on him. He's kind of similar to a certain extent as Burmeister, except he's even a year later. You know, he transferred. Would have taken last spring to learn the offense. Didn't get spring. Practice starts. He gets COVID, so he's out. Then the program gets shut down. Then he hurts his hamstring and is out more. And he's trying to work two different positions, actually three, because they were cross-training him at cornerback, too, Uh, which I wouldn't have done because if you have to move a running back to cornerback in the middle of the season, you're going to lose. You might as well play somebody else. Just play a cornerback and let him focus on offense, right? But at any rate. Now that he's focusing just on one spot and he's learning the offense with without the uh, the pressure of uh, game planning for an upcoming opponent, 
I mean, spring practice is just about your team. It's about technique, the playbook, et cetera, et cetera. Hopefully that unleashes him a little bit. Um, I have some concern that maybe he's not the greatest system fit. You know, he was the biggest threat at Rutgers in the passing game, and Tech does not have a what you would call a gunslinging quarterback. I think if Ryan Willis was Virginia Tech's quarterback, the junior version of Ryan Willis was Virginia Tech's quarterback, but I think Raheem Blackshear would be a big play guy in this offense. I think he'd catch a lot of passes from the running back position, but I don't know that that's the type of quarterback Braxton Burmeister is. I know that that's not the type of quarterback that, that Hendon Hooker was. Uh, I think Black, Black, Fuente really likes Blackshear. thinks he's a great culture fit, hard worker, everything like that. So I hope it works out for him. Um, and Marco Lee, his only carries came against Clemson last year. And look, look, looked okay, but there's not enough uh, sample size there. Out of all the others, the guy I've heard the most of is Jordan Brunson. He's a guy who, you know, when he was in high school, when he signed with Tech, he looked like he was 25 years old and had been in a weight room for 10 years. Um, the guy, he's one of the first guys you want getting off the bus, to use that phrase. Um, so I, I would probably put him fifth on, on the list right now. Um, yeah, uh, so right now there's no standout. We don't know if there will be a standout or not. I hope there is. Um, I, I hope at, at this time next year we're having conversations about, oh, well, all these running backs transferred because – uh, you know, Jordan Brunson was so awesome or Kasson King was so awesome or something like that. I think that's a better conversation to have than, uh, oh, gosh, all these running backs are average and we're going to play four or five of them. That's a much better conversation to have. You know, uh, you're going to lose players to the portal, and if you're going to lose them, you lose an average player because they're behind a good player. Don't lose a below average player because they're behind just an average player, right? That, that's what we we'll talk about basketball uh, later but but yeah i was about to perfectly transition to that. <laughs> unfortunately we're not done talking about the transfer portal we got to talk about that coming up we're an hour into the podcast we've yet to take our break so we're gonna do so in just a moment but i want to thank jake a all of his excellent content on techsideline.com the transcriptions uh tech talk live he's been doing that for a couple yeah, of years now thank I mean, you <laughs> how, how do you do that why do you agree to do it <laughs> <laughs> but uh jake is the uh what, what's a uh can he be can we give him the uh the sam rogers bud fault like the uh what, the swiss what you, army knife swiss army knife. he yeah. can do a little bit of everything he podcast yeah. he can cover pro day i mean he does it all so thank you jake thanks for stopping by yep it was fun all right let's transition uh here to our first time out here on the Tech Sideline Podcast. Tech Sideline Podcast is presented by DraftKings. 68 teams started the tournament. Only the best have survived. We've seen a couple of upsets like Oregon State, Loyola, Chicago, Oral Roberts getting to the Sweet 16. The madness is not done yet. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting new customers in the center of the action. Bet $1 on any tournament game, and if your team wins, you win $100. Folks, it's that simple. Turning $1 into $100 is 100 to 1 odds. Pick any college basketball team that's still in the hunt for your shot at winning $100. All it takes is a $1 bet and that team winning their next game. There's no better way to put your college basketball knowledge to the test than to put your money where your mouth is with DraftKings Sportsbook. Don't worry if college basketball isn't for you. DraftKings Sportsbook offers daily odds boost on pro basketball. 
hockey, golf, and so much more. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TSL when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the college basketball team of your choosing pulls off the win. That's code TSL to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Virginia only, new customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call the Virginia Problem Gambling Helpline at 888-532-3500. 888-532-3500. That was a mouthful. I've, I've, heard, the, I've heard the betting on golf can be profitable. Now, if you, if you know golf really well and you study each golfer, and you can find one that is good at a particular course. Sometimes you can get really good odds on a week-to-week basis on him finishing top 15, top 20, something like that at the upcoming event. So if you've got a guy who has a history of of coming in top 10 or so at a particular course, you might could find some really good odds on like a top 15, top 20 bet. And maybe you should uh, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code TSL. I need some water after that. We'll step aside <laughs> for a break, but when we come back, Will Stewart – the best podcast producer behind the scenes right now is going to come back on the set and we'll talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball, a little bit of softball, baseball, and get to your questions. You're watching and listening to episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Welcome back into episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, the final show in the month of March. Hard to believe. Welcome back in. Evan Hughes alongside Chris Coleman. Will Stewart has decided to rejoin us after having a taste of Malcolm's life behind the scenes. Did you, did you enjoy it, Will? That was fun and that was easy. I can't believe I pay him 12 bucks an hour to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and now back behind the scenes is Jake Lyon. It was great having Jake on the show. Uh, we transitioned from talking about lots of Virginia Tech football to talking about Virginia Tech basketball, but we do have a little bit of a breaking news. We do into the we podcast. Do. We, we will not be starting with men's basketball. We will be starting with Virginia Tech women's basketball, where senior guard and honorable mention All American Asia Shepard has decided to return yes. to Virginia Tech for another year. She wow. put out a statement on her Instagram. She's been in the program the last five years. Coach Kenny Brooks' first ever recruit when he got so to Virginia Tech. So she's Asia been here five years, so she redshirted at one point? I uh, I would assume so. Well, no, actually, I'm not 100% sure. So, so next year would be her fifth year then, I guess. If she never redshirted. Yes, that must have been it. I okay. think, yes, next, correct. Okay. Next year will okay. be her fifth year. Uh, but she had a really nice statement that she put out, and um, – she uh, basically saying, uh, let me read it here. I've enjoyed every moment on the court I was able to share with my teammates and all that we have accomplished throughout the years. However, I know that we are not satisfied, and I'm excited that I will have the opportunity to be a part of such an amazing program for another year. We are only trending upward, and I am so excited for what is to come. Go Hokies, Asia Shepard. That was the second half of her statement put out on Instagram. So they got and, pretty uh, much everybody coming back then. Everybody. Kitley, top five center in the country. Shepard, the development of Kayla King. Georgia Amor was so good down the stretch. So... How about that for Virginia Tech women's basketball? Looks like everybody's staying, and Will, next year could be a really promising year. Yeah, preseason so, top 25 probably. Yes. So the reason I think that's exciting is um, um, I'm, I'm always a little obsessed with the timing of things, and and I, I find myself thinking throughout the season, I think Georgia Amor is really good. And I found myself thinking I wish she was a year or two further down the road playing with Kitley and playing with Shepard. So 
that's good news. She does get to go another year down the road and basically play with that same group. And what year is uh, Kayla King? She was a sophomore. This was her second year in the program this year. So yeah. they don't get their extra year of eligibility. So she'll be a junior they do next not. year. No, do they not? No, I'm pretty sure they do. You're right. That's right. I'm sorry. Does. I'm sorry. Yeah. Every, so everybody she'll be a, she'll be a, a sophomore again next year. Yeah, that's that's because because I was thinking, does does King play? Is she a shooting guard or is she a three? I think she's a shooting guard who could play the three. Would you say, Jake? Is that fair? I mean, I think she could do a little bit. But I think the best thing about Kayla King is, I think she's the best, one of the best passers on the team. She mm. puts the ball on the deck really well. And I mean, she played travel. I mean, she and Liz Kitley are great friends going back to their high school days. So they have incredible chemistry. And um, I mean, a lot of those feeds the low post for Kitley, setting her up stems from Kayla King. Yeah, because so. I, I was thinking King would have to step into the Shepherd role and be the shooter. Um, and she's not quite there yet. You know, Shepherd is is, a, is an elite shooter. Well, I think Amor is someone, too, who can uh, who can really shoot the three ball. She, I mean, she, this whole team can shoot the three ball really well. Kenny, so what, Kenny has done an excellent job of recruiting shooters. Yes. So what's the, 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 uh, the former college basketball coach who's a, uh, one of the Muffet? posters on TSL? Oh, I don't talk, know. Um, um, GC Hokey, GC Hokey. What was his um, projection next year for Virginia Tech men's basketball? Like the ceiling. What's the what's the ceiling? He said Sweet Sixteen, Elite Eight. Yeah, you know, he's depending he's, on he's the NCAA tournament draw. He's talking big stuff. So yeah. just tying that into women's basketball, quick. We just experienced for the first time in school history men's basketball and women's basketball going to the same NCAA tournament in the same year. I'm curious. Would anyone? I mean, just projections for women's basketball next year. Like, is it fair to say that? Top four in the ACC and winning a, a game or two in the NCAA tournament is a is a ceiling expectation with all they have coming back. Well, you know we get excited about what's coming back, but you got to remember that that other programs can can bring people back too. You know, and um, so it depends upon what happens around the rest of the ACC, and it depends upon um, you know I don't I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the, the women's program is susceptible to giving up big runs. Um, within a game. Um, it really cost them during that bad stretch where I think they lost six out of seven or seven out of eight, whatever it was. If they can tame that, you know, if, if they had just not done that in the middle of the season, they would have won two or three more games. Easily. Yeah, you know, and, and been higher than a seven seed. So um, it, to, to me, the talent piece of the puzzle is there. Just whatever's making that sort of thing happen, you know, bring that under control. Let's transition and talk about Virginia Tech men's basketball, where they have lost two players from the end of the season. Uh, Joe's, Joe Bamaseal and Jalen Cohn both announced last week that they are entering the transfer portal. Chris, both were somewhat big recruits for Mike Young early in his tenure, getting Jalen two highest ranked recruits. Uh, yeah. Jalen Cohn to reclassify, uh, and and what well, was between Virginia Tech and Tennessee, I believe, in his recruitment, he picked Virginia Tech. And then Joe Bamaseal out of the Richmond area showed flashes this year. Didn't play a ton. You were you surprised by either of those two deciding to transfer? No, um, I, it doesn't mean I wasn't I was expecting them, but I, I'm not surprised by pretty much anything in the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah. I was surprised by Doug Nestor. That's the only one that surprised me, and the only one that the only one that hurts, as you said. Yeah, right the only on one the, that hurts. Yeah. Uh, I would prefer to keep those guys. Um, but you know, it's it's not for me to judge or question what makes them happy. Like Jalen Cohn, he can continue to play fifteen or twenty minutes in a in a off the bench specialist role at Virginia Tech, 
or he can go somewhere else and play 30 minutes a game. Maybe for a team not as good. I don't know. We'll see where he ends up. Um, that's up to Jalen Cohn, what, yeah. which makes him the happiest as a person. It's not for me to judge. Uh, Bama still is at the point in his development where he needs to play to get better. There, there, there comes a point in every player's development where they need to actually play in games to progress as a player. Just practicing won't do it. Um, and he's at that point. Um, so it's 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 tough losing both of them because they're both two guards. Um, this is complete hindsight, but knowing what we know now, I would have given Bama Seal all of Cone's minutes because he's got a higher upside. I see. That's cutthroat. But look, every, Mike Young got a, got a lot of credit for having for a complete 13-man roster this year. The problem with a complete 13-man roster is not everybody can, pl- can play, so you're going to lose some of them. Yeah. So that, that, that's just the way it is. So I, I, I really wish Tech had been able to keep Bamasil because I think he's got the highest long-term ceiling. So so let, let let's argue that point a little bit, and let me uh, you know um, you talk about Bamisil playing instead of Cone, uh, particularly after Cone went into a shooting slump, right? Uh, which lasted I don't know six games, something like that. Yep. Um, I'm I'm guessing. I mean, I've, I've I've said this before on the podcast that that even I, with an untrained eye, could tell that Bamisil was lost on defense. Yep, absolutely. And when a guy gets lost on defense, it it creates problems for the entire team defense right. everybody gets out of, out, of, out of sorts and out of rotation yep. yes Jalen Cohn is a defensive liability because of his size but was he in the proper place on defense right, right, right. thus he, not upsetting the balance right he's a better team defender yeah so yeah, so is the hmm, and, and, and Cohn was also quite the lethal shooter you know until he went in that little slump there towards the end so right. i'm not sure that putting bamisil in instead of cone would have yielded better results and maybe you would have well, lost it's hindsight get... right it would have kept us bamisil possibly maybe maybe not maybe you know? maybe not wasn't he know. uh now, now wasn't he very honest in his comments that it was about playing time I think he wants to play basketball is yeah. what he said he's like um, i think he basically said what you I, just said at this point in my career i gotta play right right and uh I haven't read Berman did an interview with Jalen Cohn's dad, I think. Okay. And I haven't read it yet, but I saw it in the comments section to my uh, Friday Q&A, and apparently Cohn's dad was talking about NBA. Um, hmm. so, uh, but again, it's, it's, not, it's not for me to judge what will make guys happy, but look, if you're, if you're the backup shooting guard at Virginia Tech, you're not going to the NBA. You got to that, make a that, lot that, of progress. That's that's my view of it. The, um, now he could be thinking, "Look, I can't continue to play the shooting guard role. I have to go play point guard somewhere and develop my point guard skills right. if I have any chance of making right. the uh, making the NBA." Because there's no such thing as a five nine shooting guard in the NBA, and he's not going to have a chance to play point guard at Virginia Tech. Um, so that could be part of his thinking that. Uh, I want to go somewhere else where I have, I'll have an opportunity to play point guard. But again, I haven't read what. Read, read well, that I'm going to be direct here, a little blunt. I'm going to bring out the one through ten scale. You take Bama Seal and his ceiling and his potential as a player, and Cone on a scale of one through ten, with ten being high and one being low. The loss of both players. How concerning is it for the team moving forward with the loss of those two on a scale of one to ten? Hmm. Man, that's a good question. Uh, I'm just gonna 
I'm going to put it at about a six or a seven because I just it, clearly a couple of years down the road, I can give you a better answer. Like losing Isaiah Wilkins, for example. Well, we don't know how they're going to be replaced yet. For <clears> one, so very true. Yeah. But but I thought when Isaiah Wilkins decided to transfer, I thought, man, that that's a guy that could, if if he really became his best player, could give you eight to fifteen quality minutes. I liked some things about Isaiah Wilkins as a player. Then he goes to Wake, and by the end of the season, he's not even playing. He's, he's actually in the portal again. right now. Yeah, right. So, um, and and I feel the same way about Cone. There are some things I like about him as a player, and some things he brings to the table. And Bamisil, we don't know if Bamisil will ever get any good at team defense, particularly the way you know Mike Young plays it. Uh, it's it's. I hate to lose either guy. I'm I'm, I'm him and Hawn. But for me, what it comes down to is, it, I was thinking about this before we, before we started doing the show. I was like, and I've said this before, that there there was that team that that Seth Greenberg had, the Jeff Allen, Malcolm Delaney bunch, that once Deron Washington left that team, there wasn't really, hmm, gosh, I have to tread carefully. They they were not a likable bunch. There were there were chemistry issues on that. Team I enjoyed watching the them play but I didn't get a good vibe from them as people. And and Cone and Bamisil and a ton of guys on this team, like, and then even going to, to Buzz's years, Seth Allen and, and Zach, Lede. Zach Lede. Those guys were fun, and I really enjoyed watching them play. So I hate to lose that part of it. But I had started to worry about Cone as a, as a defender being taken advantage of. Um, I didn't know if Bamisil was ever going to see significant minutes, even though he's a phenomenal talent. So I can't really commit. I kind of put it at a six because I'm not sure. Okay. Uh, uh, would you like to answer that too? Yeah. I put it at a three and a half. Woo. I don't think it's just um, – it's not that big a deal. You got Star- Storm Murphy coming in um, to play point guard, uh, and he's going to play – 30 minutes a game at point guard. And Padula's going to get a little training. And, and, you know, so you've either got Couture playing the other 10 or maybe Padula. Maybe Sean Padula. Uh, yeah, you know. But at any rate, more minutes for – or, or BD could come back. Yeah, we're, 10 we're forgetting quick, right, right. Right. To me, when I saw this news, my immediate thought process – I don't know anything, but just me just thinking on the outside is that if they're leaving – that to me points like I feel like Wabi Sabidi's likely coming back. That's just what I initially thought. Right? You've got two guards. You think about all the guards in this program with Aline and Couture and then Storm Murphy and and Padula and I mean there's so many options. Yeah, you're going to lose guards this year. I mean, yeah. it's it's just the, yeah. I don't know that, but I feel like that might be trending towards but, that direction. If you lose two guards, that maybe Beatty does come back. Maybe. Um, yeah, but I hope Beatty does come back because then. 100% of his minutes, Hunter Couture's playing the two-guard spot. And you can play him, you know, I, there's only so many minutes you, you, you can you can play. There's only so many minutes in a basketball game is what I'm trying to say. And are you going to take Tyrese Radford off the court? No. He played all 45 in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. Naheem Aline scored 28 points in the NCAA tournament. I know he's a little bit inconsistent, but he was only a true sophomore this year. At some point, he's probably going to get consistent. And then you've got Hunter Couture there. Hunter Couture is – I know he was lower rated than Jalen Cohn, but Hunter – and I know Tech fans these days, since a football program doesn't win many games anymore, are obsessed with recruiting rankings. Hunter Couture – is a better basketball player all around than Jalen Cohn. So 
you're 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 not going to give minutes out just to be nice. Um, yeah, you got to give minutes out that'll win your ball games. Right, right, and uh, so I just don't. Unless one of those guys gets hurt, which is always possible, um, then I just don't think it's a huge loss. Um, depending on how they're replaced. Now, here's the thing: there's, I don't think you're gonna, I don't think you're gonna see Tech have a big time transfer into the program this year because transfers into the program won't guarantee his starting positions. Storm Murphy, right, right, he's guaranteed to start at the point guard spot. I think Trey so, Mitchell might might step into the starting lineup. He would, but is but he the one from UMass? Not. Yeah, he's the one from UMass. He's not coming here, right? I doubt he's coming here. Well, then yeah, you've got yeah. the, uh, the big man uh, from Georgetown as well who's in the portal. In the portal so there's right. there's some so, options here. So, like you said, we don't know who so, Mike Young well, replaces. We'll see, but on the paper right now, all right, you know the starting point guard spot is taken. You know Naheem Aline, that spot's taken. You know Tyrese Radford's not coming off the court. You know Kev Aluma's not coming off the court. And, and the, like the, said, way, the way Justin Mutz played at the end of the season, I mean, what he did to North Carolina. That dunk um, that he had yeah, Right, them. right. No, no, you would have to sell. Uh, Mutz's spot is the only one conceivably open. Um, now, is that, I, is, real quick, is that if you move Keve to four and then you that, find a center yeah, to five? That, that's what I'm getting into. Okay. Now, if a true center is, on the, is in the transfer portal and you can tell him, okay, we're going to move Keve Aluma to four, and then you're going to play five. That that could work, um, if the right guys in the portal. Um, I, I think it would be more difficult to recruit like a straight up regular four man. Um, but but I don't know. We'll see. That's why the why they pay Mike Young the, the big bucks. But I, it's 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 going to be more difficult to add to the portal this year because Virginia Tech. I mean, they had a lot of good players. This past year, and they got a lot of good players coming back, and players who hit the transfer portal want playing time. They all want more playing yeah, time. Yeah, Joe, Joe Bambasol is not going to go somewhere where he can set the bench. Oh, uh, right, right. Well, we have so Tech has two spots open, right? And those spots were created because players left because of playing time issues. So if you're a, pl- a player in the portal who's probably leaving because of playing time issue, how can you look at Virginia Tech and say, "Oh, I can get more playing time there"? We just we just made the NCAA tournament, and one hundred percent of our minutes who that played in the NCAA tournament game is back. Yeah. If BD wants to be, right? So there's just so I, I so I think th- I, one of the narratives I'm already seeing on the message boards is uh, it's so Mike Young's had a really good first two years. Um, he's built the roster up quickly. He's gotten the team to the NCAA tournament. But the talk already in the boards is we need to get more athletic. We need to get bigger. Um, and so that's – it's kind of like the fans float up to the top. Oh, this is great. And then they start looking around going, what needs to be fixed? And, right. and that, that conversation's already starting. And Bamisil was, if not the most athletic guy on the team, one of them. Yeah. So you're losing that. Yep. Um, and if you look up and down this roster, there aren't a lot of uh, – of really athletic guys. So you could see it in transition. This so year. even even watching Oral Roberts play, who was that Ooh. guard? They had that Asmus. It, it's spelled Abe. He's the leading scorer in the country, by the way. Is that right? Yeah, Jake Simmons. Yeah, has, yeah. that uh, dude's he, quick to the rack. Well, and they get in transition so fast. Even look at that. Like the final play, they they got to go the length of the court in like three seconds and a perfect. And little they get a really in, I mean, good look. But they just lightning fast. I mean, yeah. Um, and, and so Virginia Tech literally doesn't have an, you know Tyrese Radford can sort of do that, but. 
There, there are players like that on all over all those NCAA teams, and Tech really doesn't have that, so that's kind of where the fans well, are looking. It's at. a major transition going from the Buzz Williams style of play when almost everybody's a great athlete and you're so good in transition. Right. I mean, Ahmed Hill <laughs> Ahmed Hill could tear it up in the uh, in the pro day. He'd go out there and run a 4-4 with a 40-inch vertical, and everybody would be like, we're going to draft that dude at wide receiver if yeah. he can catch the ball. And Jay Robin right. transitioned his right. passing ability. So oh, that, yeah. that, that was Chris Clark – Nikhil's, Nikhil's an NBA athlete who, by the way, is going off recently. He going he's, off. he's basically their starting point guard, right? Over Lonzo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big shock. Well, <laughs> uh, the guy with drama and the guy with no drama, right? Which one's starting? But anyway. Um, I'm here for this conversation. <laughs> Sorry, I want to have this conversation later. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's certainly a difference. Now, if you read our boards and Twitter and everything during the Buzz Williams era – and you'd watch a Virginia Tech game, and then you'd watch a UVA game, and we were always making fun of UVA's style of play. Well, guess what? We're UVA now. We're trending that way. We yeah. are, well, we're, we're not only trending that way, we're there, buddy. Yeah. Um, it is not an athletic team. It, it's a slow-paced team. Like Tech, Tech's tempo, number of possessions and everything, is going to be one of the lowest in the country. And Mike under Mike Young gets methodical. I do think the offense itself is more entertaining than than, than UVA's. Uh, to me, it's predicated uh, on ball movement, right, cutting, right. getting. Not not that UVA's isn't, but I think it is more pleasing to the eye for me. But the programs are very very similar in how they're built and run now. And you know, I, I think I don't think Tony Bennett got past the uh, the second round of the NCAA tournament until like his fifth or sixth year or something like that. And he built his program with a bunch of non-athletes for the most part and then and won and won a lot of games doing that and the more games they won the better they were able to recruit right. um there was nothing wrong with with recruiting Joe Bamisil to Virginia Tech but the timing was poor if Joe Bamisil was 2 years younger and like he was coming and he was a freshman when Nahima Aline and Tyrese Radford were seniors then we'd, we'd keep him, right, because the path is to playing time is wide open. Um, so sometimes it's, it's just a timing issue. But uh, I, I do think Tech will get more athletic in time as the program wins more games and it opens up more recruiting doors and things like that. But that's not going to happen overnight. Yeah. I'm just So I was going through the comment section on the last podcast, and I want to get your thoughts on this comment from Snapper, who kind of snapped in his comment here. Snapper. Um, he says, um, Fuente, uh, let me say this. This is my first strike on Mike. Like everything about his personality and his and like his pro, his concepts. However, you must do everything within your abilities to retain top sixty talent when you don't recruit top one fifty level. Did Joe tell Coach he was leaving prior to the tournament, or was sitting there watching our guards clang shots the end for Joe's patience? All I know is that losing Bamasio puts a kink in our development. Thoughts on just that comment? Oh, I, I don't know. Because um, I don't think it has anything to do with development. I read that I was. I, I think there's some validity to it, but I also think that the way the 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 system that Mike Young runs. I mean, look at this team right now. We talk about I uh, Aluma was a SoCon player. Uh, so was uh, Hunter Couture. Tyrese Radford was hardly recruited. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I I'm glad we're at the stage of our of our of basketball development as a program where we're nitpicking good coaches and good teams 
It used to be, my God, why can't we win more than twelve games a year? <laughs> so, uh, so before why I make, are we four and twelve? So, so, b- b- so before I make my next comment, let me preface by saying I, you know, I'm glad we're have complaints now. It's better to complain about a good team than complain about a bad team. Now that said, I think it's nitpicking at this point. And I'm not telling anybody how they should feel, but I, 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 I can't find it within myself, either in my brain or my heart, to nitpick anything that the basketball program does right now. I, um, I, I, like, like if, if, if you're – I don't know that Tech fans will ever be happy, truly happy as a fan base again after playing for a national championship in football in 1999, right? That was the peak of everything. And nothing will ever measure up to that again. Right, so I have worries about the the pure happiness of the fan base long term, because of that. Um, it's like uh, there was a West Virginia fan on our board who came on our boards, you know, back then, and said, "Enjoy it because you'll never be the same again." Because when West Virginia went undefeated in 1993 or like 1989, they did it twice. I think they did they? it twice, right? Five right, years apart. Right, and yeah. they didn't win the national championship either yeah. time. And he's like, enjoy it because we've never, we've never been happy, truly happy since then. Even <laughs> though we've had good teams, uh, what year was it? Never been really, able to measure. Was up, it 2007 right? where they got really close again? Well, the, oh, half, oh, they lost white, the right? uh, yeah. on the last game of the season. So they right? almost made and then it. Rich Rod left. Yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. So uh, that was Pat White, right? The, so uh, so like, yeah. I don't necessarily White. disagree with what he's saying i'm not it, it, fil- is, it I'm not is a fil- valid viewpoint I, i'm not fil- fil- uh, philosophically opposed to that or anything but like i'm just not in a nitpicking mood right now not yet yeah. um, <laughs> very fair um, it, it, like i said it, it is a it is a valid viewpoint um i wonder if some of the thought into that comment um makes certain assumptions about the lines of communication between mike young and his players um, sometimes players sit there and stew and get mad in a vacuum and quit. Well, uh, we don't know if that's what this was. Th- we, there, there were people saying back in January that Bamasil had already decided to transfer. So, if that's the case, then Mike Young knew it. Like, like I don't think there was any. I don't think. I think their relationship is fine. I don't think yeah, there was any big. I, I, secret I've read there. the article of Berman. And I thought it was it was so very you're kind in the of the staff tournament, and, man, and. You gotta play the guy who's gonna be there. Yeah. Well, well, let me let's leave with this real quick. So, with Bama Seal and Cohen in the portal, that's two open roster spots. Pemsel graduating, he's not coming back, correct? I wouldn't think so. Um, I I don't see. I mean, Gasson's only gonna get better. Um. Yeah, I just. I and then if Beatty doesn't come back, that's four. Uh. Yeah. I guess that's right. I think so. And yeah. then potentially, if if I don't know, if Jada's spot's been replaced, but maybe that's oh, even a fifth. So uh, I, I think those spots I, I are assuming Jada. I, do, not I don't want to go on record with a number because I don't have. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just, I'm guessing. My, my point is, what I'm trying I, to wrap honestly, things up I, with. There, there's opportunity here to add players yes, in the portal. That's yes, what I'm getting at. Here. Yes. there's open roster spots, correct, regardless of what the number is. Like, I, yeah, and like I said, though, I don't think there's a chance to get an impact guy, not at guard, at least. Like I don't see Bamasil or Cone being replaced by an impact player. I I could see potentially some shakeup in the front court, um, but I, I just it's hard to add. 
you know, Virginia Tech is a good basketball team, but they also don't have like a national reputation where they can add a big time player just based on name, whether that guy's going to get 20 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, right? Virginia Tech is a good program, but a guy's going to need to see, oh, I'm going to play a lot. Yeah. Or at least any impact player. Right. He's not going to say, man, I really like Mike Young. I'm going to go spend my next year in Blacksburg. Right. Because I'm transferring for, for a reason. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right, well, let's transition away from basketball real quick because we're 90 minutes into the podcast. Quickly do want to mention, how about the uh, Hammering Hokies? We talked about them in the beginning for a moment. They sweep 15th-ranked Pittsburgh. And I just want to bring it up because we talk about Pittsburgh and how it's a difficult place to win. You had a tweet, Chris. I mean, it's impressive to go on the road to Pittsburgh and, and Pittsburgh take has always been horrible to Virginia Tech. Like uh, Any sport. Football can't win there. God, you know, when Tech won there in 2016, that was the first time they'd won there since 1999. That was the first time they'd won in Heinz Field. And in basketball, they got eliminated in the NCAA tournament in Pittsburgh a few years ago. Will and I went to that game against Alabama. Uh, I really, really enjoyed the city of Pittsburgh when I was up there this time. I didn't enjoy it so much when I was up there for the football game in 2003. But... uh I, I enjoyed it, and I'd like to go back in better weather this time. Maybe to go to a baseball game. Beautiful stadium, beautiful scenery. Well, they, again, they were uh, ranked 15th in the country. I mean, Pittsburgh right, has right. been so, – so this was a really good so, – So, yeah, actually going in there and winning a sporting event in the city of Pittsburgh, so, especially uh, a sweep. So to, to kind of put things in perspective, going into the weekend, if, if I remember correctly, the top three teams in the Coastal were Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and Pitt, all at eight and four. Right. And Virginia Tech at six and six in in a pack after that. So three teams at eight and four and VT at six and six. VT goes from six and six to nine and six with that sweep. Well, Georgia Tech went two and one, so they're ten and five there at the top of the coastal. Carolina had uh lost a game and had a couple rained out. So they're they're eight and five. So from a percentage standpoint, they're still ahead of VT. And then there's Virginia Tech at nine and six. It's it's particularly at this point in the season, a sweep like that really does wonders. And I put this out on Twitter. It does a lot for, for where you are in the standings. And so you look this team, they start out four and two in the ACC, right? Am I remembering correctly yep. with Miami and UNC? They two out of three two and of one against each other. So they started out four and two and they're kind of scraping their head up there at the top of the coastal. And then they had a, a, a rough couple of weeks. And now to, to just go in and in three days, boom, turn yeah. the narrative of the season back around. See, I'm, yeah. I'm, uh, I look back to last Sunday against Clemson in which the rubber match and Connolly goes seven and strikes out 11, no walks. You've got mm-hmm. a 2-1 lead. Then you lose in the eighth. You win that game. That means you've got series wins against well, Miami, North Carolina, Clemson, and this week Pittsburgh. It yeah. changes the narrative to a certain extent so, for sure. But, like – don't get caught up in one little bad streak in baseball. Oh, I mean, yeah. everybody should know that if it's you've watched Major League Baseball. Season. Well, it's a fifty. It's just the nature of baseball, uh, whether it's professional or college. When Virginia Tech hosted regionals, they were number one seed in the NCAA tournament in 2013. They went 16 and 14 in the ACC that year, yeah. and they lost to three small conference teams, like you know your UNC Greensboro. So I saw some people harping on. Tech losing to UNC Greensboro. Uh, that's fairly common in college baseball because it's baseball. Yeah. Like, uh, or I'll give you an bra- example from the Braves. I think it was 2015 season when the Braves were rebuilding. And they started out the season 5-0 and when everybody picked them to finish last. In early July, halfway through the season, they were still in first place. They ended up with the number three pick in the draft. Wow. Yeah, right? So – 
baseball that that's baseball is a streaky sport by nature. Um, so don't get wrapped up in a, a few bad performances. Yeah, and again, you when, you're, when your when your staff is a little bang, banged that, up, I mean, God, they started like eight freshmen yesterday, right? So listen to this stat. I heard it twice on yesterday's broadcast. Virginia Tech has 24 home runs on the year. 22 of them are by freshmen. Yeah. Wow. Again, as long as there's not any transfers or anybody declaring, I mean, this whole team is back next year. No, no the, the, the thing is, like, you'd have to go through the roster and see who's eligible and who isn't. But, like, Rumfeld, even though he's a redshirt freshman, technically, he's, he's, eligible, he's eligible because yeah. he redshirted. And then mm-hmm. – Last year doesn't count, and then, and then he's this playing year. this year. It's so he's technically year a freshman. But here, here is the thing, and it is that last. So typically, the major league baseball draft is a forty-round right. um, draft. Last year, because of COVID and budget concerns, it was cut to five rounds. So wow. a that was why it was extremely impressive that Ian Seymour was the fifty-first overall pick in the second <laughs> round, and Carson Taylor was a fourth-round pick by the Dodgers. So a that was really impressive. But b when you've got guys, I mean, being picked in the tenth round, fifteenth round, that's not that's not bad. Those guys, unless they're seniors, they don't have eligibility back. They've got to go in as undrafted free agents like Zach Brooksy did signing with the Nationals. Yeah. So there's a chance, I think, depending on how the draft looks this year, which has not been set. Right. Because our, obviously major league teams have dropped a bunch of minor league teams. They've Correct. restructured their right. minor leagues. They don't right. need a 40-round draft anymore, the way I see it. I wouldn't think. Um, and the way the baseball draft works is if you get drafted after your junior year or after your third year, yeah, after your junior year, then you better go because uh, – You're already you, 21 years well, old. Well, you have leverage then to a certain extent uh, for your contract negotiations. That's not as important as it used to be because you've got your slot-type deals and everything. But at the same time, if you get drafted as a senior, you have no, no negotiation room at all because you, you can't, can't say, go back to school. You can't say, I'll right? just go back to school. Right, right, exactly. Now, you know – if Rumfield gets drafted in the fifteenth round or something like that, then I think his ceiling is higher than yeah, that. He, to, he should come back be, for another year. Yeah, um, but, but but and he would have that luxury to still have leverage next year, being only a redshirt freshman. So baseball draft is just so different than, than any other sport because of all that. And like you said, we don't know one hundred percent sure how it's going to be structured this right. year. But with no more Appalachian League affiliations, yeah. uh, basically, it's rookie balls gone, right? Yeah, no, right. it's 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 gonna it's kind of sad actually. Think about the small markets like the the Bluefield West Virginia who had a team, the Bluefield Blue Jays. Very sad for the small communities that that lost their teams. And yeah, uh, and it was something too that was coming regardless of COVID or not. And I feel like Major League Baseball in a way just used COVID as Accelerated an excuse the process. to just. But it was something that had been talked about for a long time. I felt like that was coming. That they were to, uh, they were under a lot of pressure to play, pay minor league players more money, hmm. and I don't think you're average fan knows that the minor league teams themselves are the ones that actually pay the players i mean the the major league teams pay their signing bonuses but like you know the salem red sox generate the money to pay the salem red sox players uh so but but there was under pressure mlb was under pressure to start paying them right right um, and the way that ML, I remember that now, I remember seeing uh, stories and, and, the, and, the, and, and the way ML and you know because those guys make like twelve grand yeah. plus expenses, right? The way the MLB sees it is very, very few of those guys are going to ever make the majors, and like we know, our second baseman and our high A team is never going to be a professional baseball player, and and 
Well, I, or, or excuse me, a major league baseball player. Yeah. So for them, it's like instead of being forced to eventually through the court of public opinion to pay more people full-time salaries and things like that, we're just going to scale back and just have well, fewer teams sense. and keep the best players that we can. Yeah, so I, so I go I go to Pulaski games, and there aren't many guys out there on that field that look like uh, uh, major league players to me you know they have a look about them a lot of them aren't, aren't as physically put together as the guys that play for virginia tech it, it, well it, it depends um like i grew up going to danville braves games and and you know the appalachian league was the advanced rookie league the, the, there's a there's two rookie levels advanced rookie and regular rookie ball right. generally like the gulf coast league down in florida that's where your high school players your guys just drafted out of high school will play. So you're less advanced guys straight out of high school or college. Um, your guys who were 21, 22 years old and played in college for three or four years, they're probably going to be in uh, in the Appalachian League, like your advanced rookie league. Like I saw a bunch of uh, future major league players come through Danville. No, it was never like each team had five future NFL right. – or excuse me, major league players or things like that. But, but you know, you, you would see guys – uh, come through there, you know, your Raphael for calls and, and Andrelton Simmons yeah. and, and guys like that. Um, think about the Salem Red Sox depends. too. I mean, uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. Right. Is the coveted player who ended up, you know, uh, and, yeah. In Salem, I went to, uh, went to a game one time. It was opening day a few years ago. And that was when the Red Sox had three top 10 prospects and the Braves also had Dansby Swanson on their, Ooh. on their high A team. So I saw four of the top 10 press pro, uh, prospects in baseball that night, but that, that was the high A level, not the rookie level. Uh, I don't even know how we got onto this conversation. We, we did. We were talking about anyways. Well, let's hell. Let's, uh, <laughs> it's called tie it together. The rails. <laughs> all yeah. freshmen uh, basically contributing to this team. And by the way, Baseball America has Hokie Baseball as high as 13 in their poll, and D1 Baseball has Virginia Tech back in their poll as, this, as of this morning at number 23 in the country. Sounds about right. So uh, listen. Where, oh, by the way, uh, where's UVA? Not in there. UVA oh, no. Is, oh, oh, no. Uh, this is a joke. Oh, I'm sorry. UVA right now is 4-11. and 11 yeah, I believe the they're ACC. in dead last in the Coastal. They are. Am I right? Dead last. Correct. Dead last. It's a tough okay. They have a so, losing record. UVA is a really, really good program, and they have been for the last decade under O'Connor. And they've right. won the national championship. 2015. And I believe they played for another one. So the fact that they can be 4-11 and 11 right now shows you how volatile yeah. and streaky baseball is. So, like I said, don't – don't get caught up in a they are in a few one of bad results. Three yeah. teams in the entire ACC who has a losing record overall. Mm-hmm. They are ten and thirteen, as well as NC State and Wake Forest all have losing records. They're the only team in the coastal who has a losing record. And we still at get the to moment, play them, right? Overall, Assume, yes, yep, still get to play them. So, anyways, that's what's going on with the uh, UVA baseball. And, and last week, Virginia Tech softball played Virginia in uh, at, at Tech Softball Out Park. In a non-conference game. Here's some Ooh. numbers I want to throw at you all real quick, by the way. So Virginia has not beaten Virginia Tech at home at Tech Softball Park since 2012. They have not had a runner reach third base at Tech Softball Park <laughs> since April of 2016. Pete, wow. All right, here's a couple other numbers. Pete DeMore is 7-0 and against Virginia since taking over, and Virginia has not had a runner reach third base in either of the seven games mm-hmm. against Virginia. That means he's 7-0, and and all wins have been via shutout. Yeah. So we want to look at, like, the Commonwealth clash and who's really pulling their weight. Mm-hmm. I mean, give it up for Pete DeMore and softball. softball so, I mean, just... not, not a runner to third, like – 
It's incredible. Rochard had a no-no going with two outs in the seventh and a little dribbler to the right side of the infield broke uh, it up. So. Uh, UVA is generally good at all sports. Yeah, I'm not sure what so they're doing. But never, at least as far as, I guess as long as I've been paying attention, yeah. they've been horrible in softball. I don't know. I guess everybody has to be bad in something, right? Yeah. Well, let's talk about softball real quick, though, Will, because uh, they take three of four from a really well-coached team in Louisville this weekend on the road. Hokies are now 19 and five, 13 and five overall in the conference, and we can talk about what they did this weekend. And you know, Rochard uh, lost the game coming in relief in Game Three. They bounced back in a run rule win on on Sunday. But I want to talk about the upcoming schedule real quick because the ACC has established itself as four really good top 25 teams. That is Virginia Tech, Florida State, Clemson, and Duke. And this weekend, the Hokies have four games coming up in Durham at Duke. And this is going to be arguably, I mean, they already took series against Clemson and Florida State. Those were huge. But this this might be the biggest series. Yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. This is the biggest series they have left on their regular season schedule. So this is a huge one this weekend. Yes. So looking at the standings, Duke is at the top at 14 and 3 in the ACC, 26 and 3 overall. And they just just this past weekend had some ridiculous winning streak of 21 or 22 games in a row or something like that broken. Um, and they've actually lost two in a row. They did. So they were 14 and 1, now they're 14. They, and they were split two. the four game series with uh, top 25 Clemson. Okay. Yeah. And Man, the whole Clemson thing bugs the heck out of me. So, but I've said that, and, you know, it, that's that's not disrespect. It just bugs me that they could snap their fingers and and be giving Virginia Tech trouble. So uh, the Hokies are down from a percentage standpoint. They're down fourth in the conference at thirteen and five. So Duke is fourteen and three. Virginia Tech is thirteen and five. So they are very close. Clemson's fourteen and four. They're milling around up there. So it, it is, and everybody else's six and nine wins are they're kind of, like you said, behind that pack of four teams. So, yeah, this is a big series for Virginia Tech, who's already had a lot of big series. They've already played Florida State. They've already played Clemson. Um, so, and I, I think, do you know off the top of your head how many of them are going to be on the ACC network? I believe Saturday's first game is on the ACC network and Sunday's game. Yeah, I'm looking at the schedule right now. So right now it says nothing about Friday's game and the second part of the doubleheader Saturday. But game one at five on Saturday and then the fourth game on Sunday at three are on the ACC network. Network, right. I would assume the other two will be on the network extra. Yeah. Um, so they should be able – again, you look at the rest of the way. Long so, so there are four games. Four games, okay. correct. Um, they play Virginia this Tuesday yeah. in Charlottesville. That is an ACC game. That's on the extra. We'll see if Virginia can uh, – get a run in this time or the third. Um, <laughs> I guess pizza more. Now that's out of conference. That doesn't count in the standings. Is it? Okay. Yeah. Um, and then Longwood double header. Uh, Longwood is a really good mid major. That'll be a decent series, but then Liberty on the network. Liberty's got the nicest softball stadium in America. Better than the I women's do. college world series. It is ridiculous. I remember having that conversation with Scott Thomas. I went with them to Liberty and we got to the stadium, and I said, oh, my God, this is crazy. He goes, this is nicer than the Women's College World Series. So you Series. go so far back that you were doing this when Scott Thomas was still coming. His final year. My, his final yeah. year was my freshman year. Yeah. Um, and then Georgia Tech and then Notre Dame, Syracuse. So, I mean, this is a, a huge series coming up for Tech softball. So Yeah, so uh, look at it this way. If, if they've been winning three out of four, they won three out of four against Pitt, three out of four against Louisville. If they win three out of four against Duke, that will drop Duke to 15 and six. And elevate Virginia Tech to sixteen and six. If I'm re- if I'm doing my math correctly, yep. 
So that's what you want to shoot for is Keely winning all of her starts. Oh, here's a good question from Richie Goad. Uh, I'd love to. I don't know this off the top of I my head. It's I don't pronounced know. Goad. Goad? Okay. Yeah. Richie Goad. I don't know that. Uh, when was the last time the baseball and softball teams made the NCAA tournament in the same <laughs> year? You know what? It might have been 2013, Richie. I uh, think that that's, they... that's the last time the baseball team made it. Correct. I, I know. So I'm guessing that's probably you have a computer. How about this? Well, Damian Salas usually listens. Damian. So he should be able yeah, where's to. Uh... Where's Damian when you need him? Um, give me two seconds here. Let's look. Softball schedule. That's a really good question. But anyways, while I'm looking this up, uh, one thing that Jake uh, pointed out to me, look at him stepping in. Adam Schefter, the guru of uh, the NFL on ESPN, tweeted Virginia Tech cornerback Caleb Farley a projected first round pick missed his pro day due to back procedure but here courtesy of some random person filming a video of Caleb Farley was his most recent 40 yard dash on March 5th there is a video and he ran a 428 in the 40 so you guys see it like it's a little just it's a little video I don't know somebody was filming him running like he, I don't know if he knew he was being filmed Jake did he know or his trainer filmed it. So, anyways, there is video that has surfaced of him running, and a four two eight is pretty solid. Well, that's pretty fast. Is, you know, is it hand timed? Is it electronic timed? You know, well, we know Caleb Farley's fast. Yeah. Whether that time says four two eight or four four one. Yeah. Um, and how very clever of that to get leaked. Right. Right. Yeah. Now. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But uh, what is that? 20, uh, 24 days uh, later, he can be a dominant cover corner in the NFL if he's healthy. Yeah. Um, would I spend a first round pick on him with his injury history? I don't know. It depends on the other corners available. And I don't know as much about or anything about those other players, to be yeah. honest with you. But I know when you're six two, over 200 pounds and you're fast and the last year we played college football, opponents only completed about 22% of their passes against you or something like that. So, I'd take him, man. I'd, I'd run. I'd probably run the risk. I'm biased. Maybe it'll be a Miami Dolphin course. with all their picks they've accumulated. Well, How so. many picks do they have? Uh, they, still, they haven't gone through them yet? Well, they just, I know they piled up a bunch. I don't know if you saw. They traded the number three pick on Friday, and they accumulated more first-round picks. So, anyways, uh, the Dolphins have a lot of picks. So, All right, uh, we'll close with this, by the way. 2013 officially, the last year softball and baseball. Both made it in consecutive years. Softball made a regional, and um, and baseball made a, hosted a regional that year and man. lost to Oklahoma, I believe, in the in the regional championship. Correct. So, yep. all right, And well, then Pete Hughes and left, Pete for Hughes left for Oklahoma. Wow. <laughs> So we are an hour and 51 minutes in. Um, just a lot of really great conversation. First of all, it's great to be talking Virginia Tech football. It's something we're going to be doing a lot more in the next couple of podcasts. Next week, we will preview receivers and tight ends, our two position groups. We'll take a look at on the podcast. Uh, the Pro Day, I want to thank Jake for not only stepping in and, and filling in behind the scenes, but uh, coming on and providing some great commentary. Let's do that with Malcolm sometime. Have him come from, you know, behind the scenes. Have him come on a segment with Malcolm. Uh, But uh, any closing thoughts, gentlemen, before we wrap things up? I didn't mean that to sound the way it sounded. We'd have to find the right subject material for Malcolm. (laughs) Let's put it that way. Eternities at Virginia Tech. If you want Malcolm to talk to you about how Virginia Tech players are vis-a-vis the NFL, how that's going, that's not really his bag. Jake is clearly very good at that. But there are things Malcolm could discuss and be entertaining, yes. Chris, anything coming up on TSL this week that we should note? Uh, Brandon Patterson article coming later today. Continue my uh, articles on uh, football position by position, things like that. Um, 
Yeah, I've got it all written out on my day planner and the other. Well, room, it's but. it's press conferences uh, for for the football program. It's a lot, so yeah. uh, definitely follow that stuff and watch his, watch the videos if you can. And and you know they're they're dropping little nuggets there, like Tay yeah. Daly being a being a vocal leader. Dax talked about that. I mean, that's been a couple of weeks ago that he said that. So, uh, but a word of warning: I'll probably take Thursday off and watch opening day. Enjoy it, opening day. That's a tradition that. that I didn't get to really celebrate last year. Yeah, so. it was in the middle of the summer. So, yeah. all right, that'll wrap things up for us. Be sure to, if you're watching, like and subscribe, please. We are currently at uh, 31 likes. Um, so, oh, oh, I'll throw this in. Richie says, "Could we have the TSL crew do NFL combine drills and film it for TSL content?" Wow. I mean, we could. I, I, I listen. What someone's going to dominate the bench press. <laughs> okay, he's to my left. Uh, uh, I don't know. That, that would be. <laughs> we, we need we need to have age groups if we're going to do that. And plus, plus, I, I need to keep working. I've, I've made a lot of progress working with Mitch a- at any age time. groups. Let's yeah. see. I'd be the only I'd person be in my, in my age, age group. You'd be in your age group, <laughs> right? He'd <laughs> win our vote. Our, our Eddie says, groups. "Can you all set up a forty-yard timing event in the grass at Continental Divide? Let's see who's the who is Eastern the fastest. Divide. Eastern Divide. Eastern. Right. That's what he meant, I think. Uh, but let's see who from TSL is the fastest. I don't think that would be pretty. Oh my gosh. I haven't actually run in years. It's when you're fifty-six. It's not the sort of thing you do a lot. Of. By the way, we throw Jake and Corey into the mix. I mean. It'll get in Malcolm too. I mean, that, that, that would be interesting. That you know, interesting. you know, Jay, Malcolm was an was an all state uh, cross country runner yeah. at, at one point. Um, but not want to mess around with Malcolm. So, anyways, yeah, we'll we'll work on that, Eddie and, and Richie. Thanks for the laugh to close the show. Uh, make sure you're following us on Twitter, our home base at Tech Sideline on Twitter. Will's on Twitter at Will Stewart TSL. Chris is on Twitter at Chris Coleman TSL. And uh, make sure to follow along with everything going on at TechSideline.com to stay up to date with Virginia Tech athletics. That'll do it for us. What a great show today. Episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, our founder and general manager, Will Stewart. Behind the scenes, Jake Lyman filling in as producer and on the podcast set today. I'm your host, Evan Hughes, saying so long. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Episode 173 of the Tech Sideline Podcast presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center, Anytime Fitness, and DraftKings. Thanks so much for watching and listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Have a great week, Hokies. 